0: Or go to FailYourWay.com for more info. Now back to the show. Make no mistake. If you're an author, you're an entrepreneur. You're selling the world on your book, aren't you? Of course, it's not as easy as launching a business and then tossing any old book up on Amazon. That's why I help entrepreneurs publish books on the specific topic and in the specific way That will launch or grow their businesses. Welcome to Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with your professor, Anna David. Hi there. Welcome to Entrepreneur Publishing Academy, sponsored by Book Elevator Pitch. To find out what that is, all you have to do is go to bookelevatorpitch.com. Yep, that's bookelevatorpitch.com. Now, today, I have an icon in both the entrepreneurial and authorial space. It is Jane Friedman. Um, she has been in this industry for over 20 years, uh, she has a book. Uh, about the called The Business of Being a Writer. She has uh, a paid newsletter called The Hot Sheet, which, oh my God, I, 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 you know, who thought a publishing newsletter could be so interesting? It really, really is. Um, but today I really wanted to have this this podcast very much underway before I ever approached her and asked her to be on the show because um, she really is I went in terribly excited to hear. Now, what does Jane Friedman have to say about uh, what really moves the needle? Does media attention matter? Does social media matter? Uh, How important is it to uh, to write for a specific reader? All of these things, and she did not disappoint. So, if you would like to grab the show notes, which includes a transcript and uh, other links to where you can subscribe to the Hachi and all of those things, just go to. Uh, Legacy launchpadpub.com slash blog slash Jane. And now I give you Jane Friedman. Here we go. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jane. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, One thing I I have actually spoken about you on this show before. And one of the conversations I recently had about you was with Elizabeth Lyons. And we were talking about how much we both love that you you don't pick a side. Uh, you are really right there with you. Can't go well. Jane is very. Tri- She's all for traditional. Pub- no, no, no. She's all for self-publishing. Um, so, so would you say that's accurate? That you, you haven't picked a side?
1: Absolutely, and I am glad you have noticed that. I hope everybody notices that. I I like the three hundred and sixty degree view, and I've experienced stories or met with enough authors that I know that there isn't like a right side to publishing paths. There's, you know, everyone's position and needs are unique.
0: Yeah, I love, okay, this is the quote from your side. I love it. I've been working in book publishing since the 1990s, but my views are not from the 1990s. Um, So what, how would you say, because it's changing so quickly, uh, how would you say traditional publishing has changed m- the most in the past year? So right now we're recording this in J- June of 2022. Uh, what would you say is the most
1: significant change of the
0: past year?
1: The supply chain issues have gotten worse. I mean, they were bad a year ago, but I know it seems insane, but they're, it's getting worse. And I think that a lot of publishers are struggling to get their printing time to get their paper and to do the things that would, you know, to have a normal publishing schedule. (laughs) And I think it's just creating a lot of stress. So that's one piece. Um, Another piece is labor issues. So there are a lot of people as we're coming out of the pandemic, knock on wood um, that are reevaluating their priorities. And, you know, the pandemic has resulted in a wake up call for a lot of people about Work-life balance, and so we're seeing a lot of discussion about how to treat publishing's workers. Um, I have no idea where that's going to fall out, but we'll see what happens.
0: And in terms of the supply chain issues, it almost feels like being in traditional publishing. It's more of a concern because you know Amazon and print-on-demand. Those, the you know, they, they are just printing every night,
1: correct? right? Right. So print-on-demand is a bit of a different animal. Traditional publishers are using print-on-demand to fill in the gaps. Um, But because of all of these supply chain crunches, prices are going up. It's probably going to result in higher book prices for everybody. Uh, Some people listening may have already noticed higher prices on books. And POD prices are going up too. So even self-publishing authors are affected by this.
0: But it's not really affecting the speed a little bit. I, I am noticing right now that Amazon KDP has had just kind of exquisite customer support for years. And now it's like, sorry, we it, there's a delay and there are there are no explanations. There's just excuses, which is unusual for such amazing tech support. Yes,
1: yeah, so I, I see and hear a lot of varied experiences with Amazon. It's really hard to understand what's going on behind the scenes because one person will have a smooth problem-free experience and others are just banging their head against the wall. So it's, yeah, it's hard to comment on Amazon's customer service, given the variety of diversity of experience.
0: So one of the things that I have always felt very aligned with you on is this idea about writers and making a living. There are these ideas like, oh, I just, you know, we all think it's going to be different for us. We all think, yeah, 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 yeah. No one can make a living, whatever. It's going to be different for me. What do you think is the best way for a writer to make a living?
1: If it's your first book, the living isn't likely to come from book sales alone. Now you may have received a really ginormous advance, which might keep you afloat for a while. But I would say that most authors, if they're making a living, uh, it's through ancillary activities related to that book. So for nonfiction authors, that could be speaking and consulting, um, things that grow their business footprint. Yeah. If it's fiction, It gets a little bit tougher. So usually then you're getting into services where you're helping people with less experience um, come up the ladder. So you're providing editing services or marketing services, things that maybe you've become expert at. Uh, For children's authors, classroom visits and, and speaking engagements can be very important and provide additional revenue. Um, some writers are great freelance writers, although some of those opportunities have been drying up um, just because of the state of the media and magazine industry.
0: I'm interested in, you know, uh, so you really, would you say your main business is the hot sheet? And, and, and if so, when did it become clear, like, you know what, this is, this is my main business, everything else is adjunct?
1: It's probably about a third of my business. Um, the bulk of my business is online education, so running one-time webinars is is where I earn most of my income.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then book sales uh, would probably be less than five percent at this point. Yeah. Um, as far as when I recognized Hot Sheet would become the size it is today, I mean, I think I knew all along. Um, just because of my experience in the industry, that it could be basically the entirety of my business if I chose to focus on it to the exclusion of all else. But I like variety. I don't yeah. want to do just one thing.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because it was my first introduction. It was, you know, before Substack existed, I was like, wait, you charge for a newsletter? And now it's become so commonplace. But I'm very intrigued by it. Um so it's you know anybody cuz cuz it is everyone I know who reads it it's like the, you open it right away it's all these how do you do it how, is it you and your husband work on it you have a team that works on it i know you have original reporting in it so you have freelancers and all of that
1: most of the writing gets done by myself so it's my writing reporting And research. Then I have a freelance copy editor who goes through all of the content, does the fact checking and style and, you know, fixing grammatical errors. And then my husband who does work for me in the business, he does what I consider the production, which is, you know, loading it all into the MailChimp system and then doing customer service. Mm. Um, So, you know, when people have deliverability issues or we need to invoice someone or people aren't, you know, whatever the issue is, for the reader, he's there to take care of it.
0: And, and what would you say is your, uh, how are you finding all of those stories? Is it just you're, you're voracious in terms of researching them? You have Google alerts, you're going to events. How, how are you doing it?
1: Well, it's it's somewhat incestuous because I read a ton of newsletters to make my own newsletter. Right. <laughs> And But, you know, I've been studying industry publications, you know, since the early 2000s. Um, so I obviously I subscribe to all of the main industry outlets like Publishers Weekly and the Bookseller, Shelf Awareness, Publishers Lunch. I could go on. Uh, but there are lots of other like publishing adjacent newsletters that are super helpful and that I'm always scanning for bigger picture trends like mm-hmm. related to Substack or to advertising um, or serial reading and writing apps. Um, so it's the publishing world is very multifaceted. Some people call it, you know, two dozen industries in one. And so that always gives me a lot of, uh, fuel for the fire.
0: So I'm curious, what would you call, how would you define success for a book? What is, and I realize it depends on the author, but what would you consider a quote successful book?
1: If, I, if it's my personal definition, what would success mean for me publishing a book? It's going to raise my profile and more strongly identify me with a specific message or a specific audience that I want to be known by. Um, so my last book, The Business of Being a Writer, I, my goal was to strongly associate myself with writers interested in the business. And I would say by that measure... It's been a success. Um, It's also been, for the publisher, a financial success. So there will be a second edition, which I happen to be working on now. Um, Another one of my goals was to to get to writers early in their journey. So I really wanted to see the book adopted by... Uh, professors in MFA programs or in undergraduate writing programs. And that's one of the reasons that I worked with the University of Chicago Press on that book, because they have the clout and the ability uh, to get books into classrooms. So again, I I would say check mark on that because it is being used by those programs.
0: Do you think a writer should go into a book knowing this is what success would look like for me?
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) It, It just... It affects the writing and the development of the book to know why are you spending time doing this thing that is basically going to pay you pennies on the hour, yeah, um, or maybe even like a percentage of a penny <laughs> on the hour. That. So you have to really be clear and honest with yourself about what's going, what what you would like to see happen. Um, that's hopefully not related to sales, which you have no control over.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: To some extent you have no control over.
0: And how, how should, how can someone know if their idea is good or not?
1: I think it really goes back to your understanding of who you're writing for. A lot of people are, are writing not in a bad way for themselves and they haven't really thought about, okay, Who is the ideal reader for this? Whose life am I trying to change? Who am I speaking to that really needs to hear this message or story or benefit from this information and do it either planning the book or writing the book with that person in mind. It helps avoid uh, going too broad, trying to include everyone or serve all audiences, which is a classic mistake. Um, And just digging into the people that you think will be most likely and the to read it and the easiest for you to reach.
0: It's so interesting because I come from traditional publishing.
1: Why did they ever
0: say that? <laughs> Why did that never come up in all those meanings? No one ever said that. Six books. Do you know what I mean?
1: I do know what you mean. Um, I mean, I think this is a problem primarily with the more literary end of publishing or Especially in New York publishing, where there's a lot of respect for personalities and people's gut instinct, and uh, there's this overriding myth, neither good nor bad, that you know, you no one knows what books are going to sell, um, and that we're just going to throw it all all at the wall and see what sticks. Um, and if you are making decisions by gut instinct, then yeah, I, that that sort of thinking makes sense. But I actually started working at a publishing company that did market research. And it was my first responsibility uh, in my first year on the job to do that market research into certain segments. And we had book clubs where we could survey our members and say, which of these books do you want to buy next? Um, And so that really disciplined me early that you can find out the answers to what people want, and you can develop books that have a waiting audience, but that is not normal for most of big publishing.
0: Why? Why why do you think that is that they they are so anti-research?
1: I don't think. Typically, there haven't been departments devoted to it. You would have to actually hire market research people. And again, there's this art commerce tension, you know, um, although I think that's changed a lot more in the last 10 to 20 years, especially with the advent of Amazon, which showed, oh, look, if you pay attention to some data and analytics and you measure the audience, you, you know, um, it has results. So I do think there are more people in marketing departments at big publishers today that are involved in market analytics, but still, but it's hard to change that culture.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I think it's sort of like, well, they know those big hits they are going to have. They're going to hit so big if it's a J.K. Rowling or a Brene Brown or whatever it is that they don't need to bother because we're going to you know what I mean? We're going to be OK in the end, like even though we're going to lose money on 99 on percent of these. I mean, that's how it feels to me.
1: It can uh, feel that way. And and it's it's really sad for the authors, you know, of those books who aren't, you know, inevitably they're disappointed by performance and they think their publisher could have done more. And maybe the publisher could have.
0: Yeah. It's interesting now that I'm on this side of it. And I remember speaking to a publicist and she told me what I always suspected. She's like, you basically just, she was, had been an in-house publish, publicist at a, at a big five publishing company. And she's like, you just kind of had to avoid those authors that you weren't doing anything for. Cause what are you going to tell them? Like, you don't <laughs> matter. And and, and, but the author feels it. It's almost, I don't know, I guess it's good. If someone had said that to me, I would have been really upset. But, but so, so for, since it really is, you know, each author is really in it for his or her her himself. What do you think, what do you think is the most crucial thing? Do, Do all authors need to have newsletter lists? Anna here. Now, are you an entrepreneur who wants to write and publish a book about your own failures turned successes? Well, good news, that's what my company, Legacy Launchpad, does. Find out more at LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. That's LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. Now, should you do a book, you ask? I think so. Why? Because you're worth it. Now back to the
1: show. Well, it is like the number one most powerful sales and marketing tool, hands down. Um, There is nothing, in my mind... Um, that's a better asset to have that protects you you from the changes happening. If your publisher drops you, if your agent dies, if, um, you know, whatever happens, you've still got that direct connection to your readers. I always hesitate to say, you know, you must, and there is no other way, but it is one of the best insurance policies against change. In the industry. And certainly we're seeing now with the growing privacy um, protections through social media or Apple, they're coming on Google too. Um, that makes those channels less effective. It makes the advertising less effective. And if you hear people inside publishing talking today, even at traditional publishers, they're trying to beef up what they call their first party data, which is their direct experience of selling to readers. And that's often through email um, Mm -hmm. and and not through, you know, their own website. And of course, Amazon's not sharing any data. So that's really incumbent on whether it's author or publisher to figure out who those readers are and reach them without depending on a third party.
0: Even when people go, well, email's dead. Who opens email anymore? Is that just not? (laughs) It's just simply not true. It's not true. It's not true in terms of social media you know one of the most fascinating things and, and i i know you definitely covered it but was that that new york times story about a year ago that said like okay here we go Publishers shirts have been you know really prioritizing social media but billie eilish has millions of subscribers and she sold i think it was under 60,000 copies and justin yeah. um, timberlake uh, you know over 5 years under 100,000 copies so what is it with social media? Will you explain how it matters and how it doesn't matter?
1: Well, in these really like big stories that you see in the New York Times that look at this issue, the one that you mentioned is a particularly fascinating one because I don't see any evidence that the publishers were actively collaborating with those celebrity authors to use their social media platform to help sell books. So if the author themselves haven't kind of been bringing people in and, you know, taking them along on the journey and themselves being excited about the book and talking about it, of course, it's, you know, there's not going to be any sales of it. Um, So the publisher just can't sit back and wait for the social media numbers to do their job. There has to be an actual engagement surprise. Right. Um, The other thing that... I think people miss this distinction is that, for example, on TikTok, we have the book talk phenomenon, which is indeed selling tons of books. It's responsible for the bulk of fiction sales growth this year and last year. Um, But is it the authors themselves doing that? Not really, it's the influencers and other people who are just excited to talk about and recommend books. So social media in that instance does sell books, but it's because of community engagement and enthusiasm. It's not because the author amassed some enormous TikTok following, although I will say there are some authors like Colleen Hoover who are wonderful at using TikTok and, you know, using it for engagement in order to boost visibility and boost sales. But you can't tell someone who's a debut author, yeah, go go get on TikTok, and that will that will ensure sales. It it does not.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I'll talk to people, and they go, "Well, I really need to focus on that." And it and it's true. But oh my god, is it a is it a it, it's a day in day out slog. I do think it works. I think anyone who's listening. Um, you know, you don't have to go like, ah, TikTok, ah, find your path, find your thing, try to make it fun. That thing that makes you creative when you, everything in you says, this is sick, this is social media. Uh, well, you're creative. Find a way to make it fun is sort of, is sort of where I stand with that.
1: Yes. Um, yes. D- but you don't think writers have to be on social media. I think you make your life increasingly difficult as an author. If you don't use anything whatsoever. Uh, it's possible. I've seen authors do it. Yeah, but it, it, I think you're making your life harder. And so it's not a path I recommend unless you just feel like for whatever reason that it's it's just going to drain you and take away and the negatives are going to really outweigh the positives. do you how important do you think media attention is for an author? It's increasingly hard to get because the number of media outlets covering books has diminished over time, and it's one of the number one things you're going to hear a publishing industry vet say is that media outlets don't cover books like they used to. Um, part of this has to do with the sociopolitical environment, um, certain presidents who have been in office, um, climate change. Gun violence, like there are a lot of things competing for people's attention, particularly right now when we feel like the world is on fire. Um, and it also raises questions for writers themselves about why am I producing art or talking about my book um, when there are these apparently very serious issues um, in the world today. Um, but that doesn't directly answer your question. I'm just talking about how hard it is. But it I think any marketer or publicist would tell you that right now, part of the game is just keeping visibility consistent over a long period of time. So to the extent that you can get some media hits, even if there's from smaller outlets to keep the ball rolling, the larger the number of impressions, the more likely you're going to get sales over time. It usually doesn't happen with the first impression, unless we're talking about someone who already knows you and has been waiting for your book to come out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and but but also uh getting seeing how your book relates to the news and obviously that's not always easy. certainly with fiction it's not easy but but with nonfiction, you know there again it's using your creativity to find a way like well how does the business of being a writer fit into what's what that that's what we figure out we're creative people
1: yes you have to find those links between what people are talking about what's in the zeitgeist and what's in your book
0: do you think um, there's particular media hits that really move the needle? Obviously, Terry Gross, um, <laughs> right. um, but is, but are there others? I mean, I know personal experience, like being on Good Morning America, or Today Show, that doesn't necessarily
1: result in book sales. That's correct. Um, The big favorite right now is CBS Sunday Morning because they actually give the author like a good seven or 10 minutes uh, to talk about the book. And so people like have an opportunity to really kind of sink into who this author is and and what they're concerned about. Whereas the other morning shows, I don't know how long those segments are, but they're really short. Um, Other things, um, any sort of celebrity book club or influencer book club. So this includes like Reese Witherspoon, Jenna Bush, um, retailer book clubs like the Barnes and Noble, like they all have these picks and those are all super helpful.
0: Do you have any tips for getting attention from those celebrity book clubs?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you already have an existing connection, I don't know that I would recommend trying to knock on those doors. It's really something that's facilitated through your publisher.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you recommend, um, book tours?
1: I think they can still be super useful, but you have to be strategic about it. And there's probably going to be some sort of hybrid tour from now on out. Um, So you'll do some things online because it's just not going to be worth the return on investment to like fly out to the other end of the country. Um, But I do think it's still super useful, especially in your region to get media going, to have that library or bookstore or winery launch event because that allows the media to report on something interesting that's happening. So often, and this goes back many years, often it was the bookstore event. It was used to get the local and regional media. It wasn't necessarily that the sales in the store uh, was the point. It was the bigger impression that you were making in that media market. So those reasons to do events still exist.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I think that there's, I, th- I would encourage people to think about collaborating on these events rather than being a solo author. Can you be in conversation with another author? Um, can there be a theme surrounding the event? So it's not just about you reading from a book. Instead, you're analyzing a pertinent current events issue that your book ties into, as you mentioned earlier. That just makes the events more appealing and, and dynamic. And
0: it, so, in the, so would you recommend that somebody, because uh, this is a conversation I have with people all the time. Um, I, I just want to try traditional publishing first. Are there? P- do you think everybody who f- wants to be published traditionally should try first and have I, Indie be a second option?
1: Yeah. If that's what you want, I would suggest trying it. Like the only thing you have to lose is your time and maybe a bit of your ego. Right. <laughs> so you can set up a submissions process that you kind of knock out, I would say in three months, I wouldn't like wait forever and ever to get responses. I'd like test the waters, see what responses you can get and give yourself a deadline to finish that process and then move on. I think it's really important not to get caught up in like this hamster wheel of of submission where You kind of stop for a while because you're feeling dejected. You think, well, maybe I get this edited or like, you know, there's a lot of hemming and hawing and doubt, which is totally normal. But I would say, do not linger in that process. Move through it and then move on. So three months
0: for an agent and then maybe another three months, like if you don't get an agent in three months, move on and then give your agent three months to try to sell the book if you get an agent.
1: Uh, The agent will offer realis- realistic expectations there. So what I'm hearing right now is that it's taking editors longer to look at manuscripts and read them. So it could be that it takes longer than three months, it might be six months. But I would say, you know, take your agent's um, guidance on that one. But I, if they can't sell it in a year, that's definitely when I would cut cut loose and and consider another avenue. What do you see as today the advantages of of having a traditional publisher? Oh, boy, it depends so much on the publisher we're talking about. So, for instance, um, Amazon Publishing, which many people confuse with self-publishing, it's not. This is their traditional publishing operation that does a thousand titles a year. They're enormous. They have about two dozen imprints covering every category and genre. If you get a deal with Amazon publishing, you're probably going to have a small advance relative to like a big New York house, but you're going to get the power of Amazon putting your book in front of the people it's pretty sure is going, people that they think are going to buy the book. Um, They're probably going to put it in Amazon prime, or it's going to be in Kindle unlimited and you're going to get huge exposure that it would be very hard for like a big five publisher to get you. Mm -hmm. But You're in the Amazon ecosystem, you know, you're not in the bookstore ecosystem. Now, if you're the sort of author who feels like, oh my God, this is like, this is the independent bookstore book. I think it's gonna, bookstore people are gonna love this thing. And you can sometimes see exactly what titles are like that because they're actually about bookstores. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And those are just, you can tell, these are dead ringers for bookstore promotion. Anyway, if That's that's what you want, you kind of need a big five to help you do that, or at least a really strong independent house like Grove Atlantic. Um, So it really, it really goes back to what you're looking for. Not that you have the choice of publisher there, but publishers are great at getting your book stocked in bricks and mortar. Um, They can be really powerful at online marketing and promotion if they have that direct to consumer list, which some do. Um, So, you know, they, if they have an active publishing program in your genre or category, you then also have the benefit of the relationships. I hope of other authors in that imprint, and it's it helps build your network as well.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's it's a very rosy look at it. Um, I, you know, it I had uh, I I have a much easier time getting my my pub books I publish myself in bookstores than the traditionally published ones because. The traditionally published. If you are publishing independently, you can make your book returnable, and Mm -hmm. my publisher didn't, so they don't want to. Anyway, oh Jane, you don't want to hear me (laughs) about this. Trust me. Um. So what? Oh, so what I was going to ask you is for an independent. So somebody who doesn't have a book publisher behind them, how would you recommend making yourself attractive to a bookstore or a winery or wherever? Is it saying um, you know, I loved your idea about make it a themed event. Is there anything else like that? Or how, how would you recommend people go around trying to secure those?
1: Well, it's going to depend a little bit on the venue. So like bookstores, if they're going to order the book for the event, it needs to, it, it needs to be available on certain terms from certain places. So like they're not going to order your book from Amazon, if you've self-published it strictly on Amazon. Right. Um, You have to have it available through Ingram and you need to choose the appropriate discount, which is 55%. So there are those like little technical logistical pieces if you're dealing with book-oriented venues that have certain expectations. Aside from that... Any venue is going to be looking at your ability to get turnout. And so you need to look for evidence that you can generate an audience for this venue, um, unless they're charging you and that's how they make their money, right. So you have to show that, oh, well, you know, at my last event at such and such venue, we had so many people turn out and we sold so many books. And so if you're totally new though, and don't have that track record, then you could mention maybe that you have an email list of a certain size, or you're active on social media, or you're partnering with this person who does have a presence and is going to be marketing and promoting it. So essentially what I'm saying is you have to give them an idea of how you're going to market and promote the event and show that you're not relying on the venue itself to gin up interest.
0: And I didn't actually know that there are there are bookstores that you could possibly pay to have an event. That's a great idea if, if you're yeah. brand
1: new. Yeah, there are some venues where you can just pay them outright.
0: Great. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, Is there any uh, final piece of advice you have for somebody who is sort of, I know I want to write a book, but I'm not sure what to do. What would you, would you have any final advice for them?
1: Um, Have patience with yourself in the process. I find that a lot of people are, are either... If they're not paralyzed by self-doubt, um, they're rushing or they, they expect things to happen more quickly than they actually do, especially in the publishing industry, which is notoriously slow. But writing itself is a slow process. So just give it the respect and attention it deserves and, and take some joy, I hope, in the act of writing and revising, because that's, that's what it all boils down to, is taking joy in the work. Agreed.
0: Um, so, Jane, if people want to find you, what's the best way?
1: Uh, my website's janefriedman.com. That points to everything that I do, whether it's the paid newsletter, or the classes and, and events.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jane. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks for joining me this week on Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with Anna David. For more info about the show, go to entrepreneurpublishing.academy where you can get links to show notes and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and all the other places. Speaking of those places, if you got anything out of this show, I can't tell you how much I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. And please don't forget you can tell an author or entrepreneur friend about the show. Another forget-me-not, my company Legacy Launchpad Publishing is available to help industry leaders, those with stories to share at any stage in their publishing journeys, whether that's writing, editing, or publishing. Just go to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com to find out more. And be sure to tune in next week for, Bull well, next week's episode. You know, if you subscribe, you never have to worry about missing